Radio Free Mormon. Here we are. It's another night of Mormonism Live. How are you doing this evening, my friend? Bill Real, it is always a joy. It is the high point of my week, Wednesday evenings, to be with you, to be with our audience, who I'm more and more considering family yeah, than an audience, yeah. and just talk about Mormonism. And you've got something lined up special for us tonight, don't you? Well, I've got a couple things. Let's uh, let's put, um, let's see here how I can do this. So first off, for the audience, uh, there's 88 people watching right now. I'm sure there's going to be another couple of hundred within a few minutes. We love you guys. We appreciate this. It's been so much fun. And the responses from you guys, you pointed this out, RFM, tons of comments last week. Uh, comments are getting, I think, increasing in number. The people that are watching the show is beginning to grow and be consistent. Sometimes when we do like interviewing Kwaku or talking about John DeLynn and that whole uh, situation, then you get kind of an unusual number of high people in watching this live. Um, but I think we're to the point where we're getting about 400 people watching during the shows. We're getting about uh, five to 8,000 views on YouTube. We are getting another uh, 12 to 15,000 downloads on the audio version that goes out the next day. And I'm not exactly sure how many Facebook views we're getting, but that's got to be uh, considerable as well. So for the 101 people that are in here right now, could you please share this on Facebook? It would help us out a bunch. We want to increase the, the number of people who can see these programs. I think that RFM specifically, and maybe a little bit of me, uh, explaining these issues in ways that I think the, the general Mormon population understands. And I think it's beneficial to, to anybody who watches to kind of have this as a resource to, to deconstruct and reconstruct um, belief systems and to kind of enjoy the messiness of Mormonism. So tonight, RFM, I wanted to start us off. Let me add this into the stream. And yeah, I want to see that. And by the way, if you want to share this with your bishop or stake president, that's okay too. I'm going to try to make this bigger and then I'll hit refresh here. Uh, so we've got 114 people. Here we go. This will, this should play. Whoop, I got to hit the... Bite me about how to treat a... Let me do this one more time and I'll try to catch the... Uh... This is my favorite video uh, on TikTok, if you can call them videos. This is my favorite TikTok ever. How to treat other human beings than these 15 men all together have. Then there's, it makes little sense for me to concede any moral authority to them. And I've outgrown the church. Of everybody who stepped away saying, like, I don't believe it anymore. It doesn't work anymore. I've outgrown it. One person says, if I could go back, I would. Everybody else says I'm better off outside. I, I am I am kinder. I am more aware. I'm, I'm more open to learning and information. I'm more open to new ideas. I'm more open to being around those who are different than me and seeing them as my equal. And, and so that's the journey. Because I think we've got to come to grips that these 15 men collectively, the way the system works, it inhibits them from seeing that humans are human beings and stepping to the plate and saying, we got to knock off. And so when I say there's more wisdom. All right. So there's the first Radio one. Radio Free Mormon just, is probably my favorite. Just, all right. I just want to know, Bill, how long did it take you to make that TikTok video? I, I didn't make that. That's one of, I guess, one of the three fans I've got. Well, that's and your voice, isn't it? That is my voice. That was taken off of the interview with Jim Bennett and uh, the the lady there who does the TikTok for that channel. She took that audio and I'm grateful that she did put it with a bunch of people who are 
Uh, you don't get to hear their audio, but they're essentially saying Mormonism doesn't add up and I'm stepping away. And the video with my audio is meant to kind of validate that exit from the church. But that happened uh, earlier in the week. And then you and I were surprised uh, by a TikTok sent to us by a friend this morning. I want to play this one for you, RFM. Um, I have a couple of really good podcasts that I've enjoyed. Radio Free Mormon is probably my favorite, favorite ex-Mormon podcaster because he's very concise, he's very clear, um, and he's very kind. I just really enjoy his his work. Um, Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real both do a, a call-in show called Mormonism Live on Wednesdays. It's also really fun to listen to. If you're um, looking for more of like people's experiences with leaving the church, um, uh, Mormon Stories podcast is a really good one to start with. And I found a lot of really good stories there that I resonated with um, that really helped me to feel like I wasn't alone. Because in the beginning of a faith transition, it is, it's such a lonely experience. And hearing other people's stories and realizing that it's okay that I was feeling the way I was feeling helped me so much. Um, but yeah, anybody else who has good suggestions, leave them in the comments. Oh, I like this question. All right. So... Well, that was wonderful. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Like this, this program and the work that you or I, and she mentioned uh, John DeLynn and Mormon stories as well. I do want to note that Mormon stories is coming in a distant third to radio free Mormon and Mormonism. <laughs> distant third. No, it's no. almost, it's so far in the, the rear view mirror. It's like a dot on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. You, you also, <laughs> you also said this morning that, you know, for sure, without even looking that that wasn't your ex-wife. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't have to look and I knew that wasn't my ex-wife talking. <laughs> Do you have something different to say? Um, but no, no, I, I make fun of the Mormonism, the Mormon stories, but I have to tell you, okay. The friend who sent this to Bill and me was actually John Delenn. He actually sent this to us. So I want everybody to know that. And I made the same comment in the text group <laughs> message thread as well. And he laughed at it. So, you know, uh, John Delenn, uh, gets a bad rap for a lot of things and maybe some are deserved, maybe some aren't, but this guy is, uh, he's humble. He's approachable. He's very personable. He's super helpful. Pretty soon. If I use enough adjectives, he's going to be a boy scout. Yeah. Look at that. He'll get his merit badges and, uh, get into the Eagle's nest, right? Yeah, absolutely. So those are great. I love those TikTok videos. Keep them coming, everybody. Yeah, if you guys make things like that, please. I mean, obviously the one, the second one we played, huge fan of you, and uh, and she obviously listens to Mormonism Live, so she's probably listening right now. Yeah. If you guys make TikTok videos that do this, by all means, like we'd love to see those, and uh, and we'll put we'll put some of those up from time to time. So we we encourage you to do that. Uh, again, if if 166 people here, if you guys will share this on Facebook and other places, give people a chance to tune in. Uh, tonight, I wanted to talk about the most incredible woman in both of our lives, Radio Free Mormon, and our that mother? is Heavenly Mother. Oh, it is our mother. Heavenly Mother. Heavenly Mother. You know, so the idea behind tonight, we we also, and I'll put it up here on the screen. Let me uh, grab it here real quick. And so this week, um, this was May 8th, 2021. Um this was just after we did our show last week, and there was an article put into the Salt Lake Tribune uh, by Peggy Fletcher Stack, who we love, and the conversation is about Heavenly Mother is making her way into conversations 
and various place, uh, debates and divisions is what they speak of in Mormonism. Uh, your thoughts on this article, because this article prompted me to want to talk about Heavenly Mother. And primarily, I want to talk about what are good reasons not to bring her up and what are good reasons to uh, begin to increase the volume at which we talk about her and why, for whatever reason, Mormonism as an institution, LDS Mormonism, seems to stand way back from wanting to do that and seems hesitant. And we saw maybe, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but we saw maybe some signs that that you can still get in some trouble for doing this, and we'll see how that all plays out. But your initial thoughts when you saw the article? Well, the article is interesting. This is a matter of perennial interest in Mormonism because Heavenly Mother creates so much tension in Mormonism. First off, she is a being who is apparently, according to modern Mormon doctrine, married to Heavenly Father. She's the heavenly wife. He's the heavenly husband, right? More, they have to be more than married. They would have to be sealed for time and all eternity, correct? Yes. On a prior world, we would assume where they both lived in mortality and from which they were true and faithful in all things and attained their exaltation, yeah. the resurrection and exaltation, et cetera. Both got the second anointing? I think that they would have had to. Yeah. By the way, this brings up this fascinating thing, and you're going to get me off on this, I know. You're going to get me off on this sidetrack. But this is the funny thing. I will get back to this article. Uh, the funny thing is that um, Mormons, as Mormon Christians, what we have to do is something very different than what other Christians do. Because uh, I think pretty much every other Christian, their view of God is this being who is completely different, completely other. He's existed forever. He's never changed. He's never going to change. And so he's ne he has not attained his position as God, right? And so what we have going on here, I might have a few things. <laughs> Heavenly mother Heavenly on mother. the line. Yeah. This is incredible. She must've snuck away because she's I'm been in solitary. Calls, I'm hoping she calls us at the end of the night. Yeah, she's been in solitary. Uh, yeah, And maybe she's been good or she snuck away and got a hold of the phone and she wants to finally communicate. Yeah. Because apparently Heavenly Father does not want her talking and doesn't want any messages coming into her either from her children. He can't pray to her. So she's in the equivalent of the celestial isolation. I, I've also heard that certain of her children don't want her spoken of very much either. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets back to the tension. But I wasn't done with my digression. Please. So my digression is, is that because God has become God in Mormon theology and Jesus became God in the, uh, Mormon theology, and we have an understanding in Mormon theology of what we need to do in order to become God, then we have this, I won't say a game we play. It's sort of like a game, but we say, okay, if that's what we have to do to become God, then this is what Heavenly Father and Jesus must have done to become God, right? Yeah. And you're getting right there. I need a form since the church's closet. <laughs> I'm sorry. These, uh, these comments pretty, are, yeah. Heavenly she's got a lot to say. She's comment. been holding it back for like thousands of years now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, I got to bet she's a little frustrated. There's probably a little tension on her end too. Uh, <laughs> okay. So what we do is then we say, if we have to do this to become God, then God had to do this to become God. And so we talk about, okay, well, oh, we have to be sealed, like you were talking about, right? Well, we have to be sealed in the temple. So God must have been sealed to his wife on a prior planet in order to become God. We have to have a second anointing at some point, either in this life, if we are one of the special ones. And by the way, I cannot confirm whether or not I have had the second anointing. You cannot. Okay. 
I just can't speak to that issue. I'm not allowed that's to. Why they haven't excommunicated you yet, RFM, is because you have been washed and anointed uh, preparatory to whatever and had your calling and election made sure. Yeah. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you. It's not preparatory anymore. It's the no. real deal. The you second anointing. Done. There's nothing it can get you now. But then you get to the marriage, right? And back in the, the 19th century, when the saints are out in Utah and they're practicing plural marriage, oh, let's go back to marriage, right? Because Jesus is God. And therefore, we have this whole idea of Jesus must have been married, right? Right. Because we got to be married. So he must have been married since he's a God now. Yeah. So we cast about in the New Testament. We find likely candidates. Mary's a good one. And then Jesus is, uh, you know, he's at, at John chapter two. He's at changing water into wine at the uh, marriage at Cana. Mm. So, you know, James Talmadge is happy to weigh in and say, oh, well, this was probably Jesus's marriage. He's the groom here. Yeah, it's his responsibility. He's in charge of the bar tab. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yes. And then uh, back in the latter half of the 19th century, you have at least one apostle, if not two, who are arguing that since plural marriage is required at that time for the ultimate super VIP heaven. Yeah. That Jesus had to be a polygamist as well. And so you've got apostles talking about Mary and Martha, since he seems to hang around with them quite a bit. Yeah, and he only needs to dip his toes into the principle, so he only takes two wives. There's no use in having 36 of them. Well, right, right. But there's a lot of things we don't know about from the New Testament. Many plain and precious truths have been taken away. I don't know if you were aware of that. Yeah, well, I, we had Adam Clark's commentary to restore all that, so we're good now. Very good. So now the article... I don't mean to take this over. This is your show tonight. No, no, I love it. This is great. This is great banter back and forth. So we've got this article with Heavenly Mother. It talks about some of the conversations that are going on. We'll get back to that in a moment. Um, but I wanted to kind of weigh in on uh, some ideas in terms of pros and cons and get your thoughts along the way. So I want to start with uh, advantage uh, number one. And it, it should be noted, by the way, there was... <clears throat> Uh, President Hinckley said uh, this, and I think it's in the talk where you're going to show later, but he quotes, none of us can add or to or diminish the glory of her whom we have no revealed knowledge. President Hinckley acknowledging we have zero about Heavenly Mother, and we'll get to that. There maybe are some things that we have, but we really don't have anything. Um, in fact, there was an article about 11... Uh, powerful truths about Heavenly Mother, and um, in that article, if you if we find it, and I'm, actually I forgot to bring that one up, so let me look here real quick. Powerful truths. Um, Eleven powerful truths about Heavenly Mother. Yep. I want to start taking notes on this. Yep. Let's see here. Here it is. So let me put it up on the screen, and I got to move it over to here. All right. So this is uh, LDS Living Magazine. This is 11 powerful truths about our heavenly mother from prophets and apostles. Let's see how powerful these are. Mm -hmm. um, number one, Joseph Smith responded in terms of, um, will I know my mother as my mother when I get to the other side? Joseph Smith responded, certainly you will. So you will, you will know heavenly mother in heaven. That's a big secret. Like I didn't know that. Like, if I were to guess in Mormon theology, that seems like quite a big stretch, doesn't it? That you would know Heavenly Mother when you get back there? Well, I'm sure we spent a lot of time with her then, back when we could talk with her. Yeah, I think when we get back there, it seems like common sense that we would be with her again if she exists, right? 
Yeah, until we go off to our own planets and start doing our own, you know, yeah. thing as gods. It's a busy job. You yeah. will agree. I By agree. the way, it's very important to note that when they're quoting Joseph Smith, you got to put a big asterisk there because Please, thank you. Clarify that. Thank you. Joseph Smith never said anything about Heavenly Mother in any revelations or in any contemporaneously recorded utterances or documents. Joseph Smith dies, of course, June 27th, 1844. And the next year, 1845, suddenly you have multiple people. I think there's at least two. And I think they're both women and maybe others who are suddenly saying, oh, Joseph Smith was telling me in private about Heavenly Mother. And he didn't mention it publicly. Well, that's why it's a big asterisk, because we can't be sure that he actually was talking about it, especially when, as maybe later if we have time, I'm going to go to the King Fala discourse and show how Joseph Smith actually was teaching things at the very climax of his career. Two months. That's April 7th. King Fala discourse, May, June. Yeah, just a little over two months before he is done with his pr prophetic career. And he's talking about things in a way that there is no heavenly mother involved. There is no spirit birth. There are no spirit children. All of this stuff, which we take for granted and usually are happy to attribute to Joseph Smith or maybe the scriptures, it's not there. Yeah. And so these are things that came up later. So sorry. I'm, 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 I have to remind myself tonight is your week. And my job is to play, <laughs> is, is to play. Um, hang on a second. I said this right before um, Ed McMahon to your Johnny Carson. That that's some, that's some crazy wild and wacky stuff. So, <laughs> so there's that Ed. Hello. Uh, so number two is that heavenly mother has some divine attributes. Look at this. Latter-day saints believe not only do we have a father in heaven, but a mother there. Wow. I mean, whoa, who would have thunk it uh, in Mormonism? Uh, Elder Orson F. Whitney shared that we can become like Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Mother. Okay. I want to become like our Heavenly Mother. Is that okay? We don't know a darn thing about what she does, but you can become just like her. Oh, yeah. Good point. I think I know what she spends most of her time doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably in a delivery room. She's in the celestial maternity ward. <laughs> And she has to stay there, right? Uh, President Heavenly Father's outside pacing back and forth, smoking a cigar. Oh, no, no, no. He's not even at the hospital. He's just off sending Michael and Jehovah to make new planets, take matter unorganized, and go down there hither and thither and, and go ahead and get it all working. Put oh, wow. Life forms on. Um, President Rudger Clausen in 1910 wrote that the God – who he's an apostle, right, at the time? Well, yes. These guys, where are they pulling these things out of? He wrote that the Godhead. He was women, in the first presidency, but it could be wrong. He wrote that uh, the Godhead women possess as a birthright from our heavenly mother. Uh, so again, there's not the way that if you can, if you can go back to his quote, because he says something really, really nice in this quote. And I came upon it independently in my own research, that very first line about as if Rudger Clausen is talking to modern church leadership and saying, why, are you guys so concerned about this? Why are you concerned about members believing it, talking about it? You know, God forbid, even praying to Heavenly Mother and sending her some communication from time to time, because it doesn't take from our worship of the Eternal Father to adore our Eternal Mother any more than it diminishes the love we bear our earthly fathers to include our earthly mothers in our affections. So I think that's a wonderful line of reasoning. It applies to adoration. It applies to communication. I think it applies to 
um, all sorts of things that we're not doing with Heavenly Mother. And of course, this gets into the tension that I mentioned at the outset right before my digression. And if Heavenly Father has a healthy ego, he really shouldn't mind his wife getting some attention, should he? What is the deal with Heavenly Father? The problem is that when you take this stuff literally, oh my gosh, he is so jealous. He is so jealous of Heavenly Mother. Uh, you kids, you can't have any contact with her. Heavenly Mother becomes me. like the crazy me. old, what? Me, me, talk about me, pray to talk me. Talk to me, pray to me, pray to me. You pray to me through the sun, Heavenly Mother's over there. She's like the crazy old aunt that's locked away in the attic. Yeah. That you love dearly, but you don't want anybody really to know she's there when you have company over. Okay. Exactly. So, and every now and then she'll rattle a chain or bump or cry out or something. And so you know she's there, but then you try and, you know, talk about something else in the meantime. Yeah. So you're right. That's a beautiful quote. And it feels like current leadership in the church doesn't really want to draw too much attention to that because that seems to diminish the theology in the stance they take on this issue. Elder John A. Widstow wrote of her radiance. This is another revealed uh, insight into Heavenly Mother. She is- Wait, radiant. is this number five? She's radiant? She's radiant. The glorious, we're running out of stuff fast here, aren't we? That's because she's always pregnant. She has that glow. Yeah, she's got that pregnant glow about her. Elder Melvin J. Ballard shared that Heavenly Mother is equal to our Heavenly Father. Mm, oh. Um, mm, I don't know. that. That one's a little risky. She's uh, equal to him in what way? Yeah. In in all the ways that no one knows. Oh, wait. She's equal to Heavenly Father the same way that Mormon women are equal to their Mormon husbands. Right. It's the same difference. I got it now. Thank you. <laughs> President Harold B. Lee taught of the concern and love our heavenly parents demonstrate in the pre-earth life. So far, you and I could have wrote this list, right? What did they do? <laughs> what did they do that demonstrated the love? I want to know what... Uh, oh, mom bade us goodbye? Yeah, there came a day when mother and father said, now my son, my daughter, it is now your time to go. Are they this speaking the, in unison? Yeah, they speak in unison. Okay. Uh, this is the greatest time in the history of the world. This is the fullness of times. This is the 11th and a half hour. That's my, my insertion from President Nelson's words. Um, it's always the greatest generation, right? This is the greatest time in the history of the world. Uh, this is the fullness of times. Well, they what's going to happen in 500 years when Mormonism is still here? Jesus hasn't come back, and all these quotes are sitting here saying, "This is the greatest time ever." They'll uh, still be saying it. <laughs> this is the greatest generation. There may be one young person left in the church, but you, kid, you're the greatest generation, greatest ever. I suppose as mother and father bade us goodbye, there may have been some sadness there because they knew Satan was here. And once they're, hey, it's always nice to get reunited with your brothers, isn't it? <laughs> Having a family reunion. Yeah. That's what this show is all about. So anyway, there's that. President Kimball shared attributes of our Heavenly Mother and her influence. Let's see what attributes. Um, is she blonde? Maternal modesty. We get a sense of maternal modesty, restrained, queenly elegance of our Heavenly Mother. Knowing how profoundly our mortal mothers have shaped us here, do we suppose her influence on us as individuals to be less if we live so as to return there? Again, you and I could have wrote this list with uh, one eye closed and one hand behind our back. Uh, in 1991, President Hinckley gave a detailed explanation uh, of why Latter-day Saints do not pray. So he talks about, again, that quote, none of us can add or diminish uh, the glory of her of whom we have no revealed knowledge. He basically revealed that we don't know anything about her and that's in the list. Can you believe that? Yeah. And you know, this whole thing about uh, this detailed list of why it is that we don't uh, pray to her amounts to, well, there's nothing in the scriptures where anybody prays to her. Right. And so therefore, if it's not in the scriptures, 
we're not going to do it either. I mean, why do we have prophets at the head of this church? I Every time I turn around, and this is a good example, by the way, every time I turn around, one of them is saying what we don't know and what's not been revealed. And you get the impression that they don't have access to any additional knowledge or any additional revelation. They don't even think they can go and get any. They're stuck with the scriptures that we have and the Mormon Orthodox interpretation of them. And that's all we have. And there's not going to be any more except for minor, maybe uh, shifting and moving of the, the deck chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Yeah. And doesn't it seem odd too? we were talking about this this morning in our phone call with each other, that what, there are certain rules in Mormonism that you can violate scripture and change it on a dime. For instance, not no longer required to have 12 men in a disciplinary court from the high council. Um, but for whatever reason, there are certain scriptures that we say like, oh, but that scripture we can't change. And it seems like it's arbitrary how we pick and choose which ones we maintain and which ones we go ahead and adapt and change. Notice here, number 11. Uh, well, let's do number nine. Elder Oaks uh, taught that we should aspire to be like our Heavenly Mother. Is that is that a revealed attribute? Is that something we learned? Like, that seems strange. It is. I certainly aspire to be like her. Our <laughs> theology begins with Heavenly Parents, our highest aspirations. But, you know, you get the idea they're really trying to pad this list. Yeah, that there's nothing there and they're just trying to add to it. Yeah. And then Elder Holland comes precariously close. Isn't this a guy who grabbed your ear once? This is the guy who grabbed my ear with a little, little, a little twinkle in his eye, yeah. and he said the famous Bill Reel, and uh, him and I shook hand, talked for a moment, and then he moved on to the next handshake. That's sweet. I should have given him, I should have given him a certain, a certain handshake. That would have threw him off a little, huh? I think it would have, absolutely. <laughs> Number 11, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland comes precariously close to violating President Hinckley's admonition to Mother Eve, to Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, to Mary of, of Nazareth, and to a mother in heaven, I say, he's speaking to her, to a mother in heaven, I say, thank you for your crucial role in fulfilling the purposes of eternity. Again, nothing revealed there, but this list. What is, is he added. doing? He's, he's, he's praying to Heavenly Mother? That's he's it. He's talking he's, to her? He's talking to Heavenly Mother and giving her uh, appreciation and gratitude, which is another revealed truth of Heavenly Mother. Like you said, there's really no revealed anything in this list. It's completely rational and logical, and you and I could have made it up. Um, and then a few things sprinkled in that weren't anything revealed at all. Right, so, and it's funny that in that list, was it that quote from President Hinckley in the list of her about whom we have no revealed knowledge? Yeah, one of the revealed things is that there is no revealed knowledge about her, even though we had 10 other things that were kind of implied that they were revealed things, but they weren't revealed at all. They were just kind of educated guesses at what Heavenly Mother might be like. And uh, I think they all did a great job at giving a good educated guess. What was the title of that article again? That article was... It was in LDS Living, I think. 11 powerful truths about our heavenly mother from prophets and apostles. And one of them says we have no revealed knowledge about her. <laughs> Not a thing. Okay. They should have started with that one. Then they would have only had one in the list and they yeah. could have skipped everything else. They nailed it. So knowing all of that, I wanted to go over kind of what I thought were advantages and disadvantages to talking about her. Advantage number one, and I want to get your thoughts on each of these. Advantage number one. Women in the church will feel more inclusion, balance, additional role models, more whole ways to form identity uh, in spiritual theology. Your thoughts, RFM, on that advantage of helping women to feel more included and help them have more of a role model and to feel more, um, I think, 
acceptance in Mormonism's theology, uh, maybe more healthy balance as well with, with men? Well, I will tell you that uh, what struck me was a number of years ago was hearing a woman who was a member of the church express her feelings. And I think it was on a message board or something somewhere, but it had never occurred to me because I'm a guy, right? And frankly, that does limit my perception somewhat. But when she was talking, she was talking about how men have Jesus and Heavenly Father to look up to. Those are their role models. Those are the people whom they aspire to be like, mm -hmm. even in eternity. And Heavenly Mother is this sort of amorphous uh, idea. She's supposed to be a person. But when it comes to the doctrine of the church and when you hear church leaders not talk about her, really, she becomes transparent. She becomes invisible. Yeah. And what this person was saying was, is this what my eternal destiny is, is to become invisible? Yeah, it seems like it, doesn't it? That seems, and that really struck me. Yeah, that seems like the goal inside Mormonism is for a woman to have children and then to disappear. Yeah. yeah. And I guess they're they're disappeared because they're either in the bedroom or like the maternity ward. There's the only two places she can be. We're either producing children or popping them out. She doesn't have to be in the kitchen anymore because I understand we don't have to eat. No, we don't. And our blood turns into some life force too. So we it's the spirit, Holy Spirit in the veins. <clears throat> there you go. Which might be Heavenly Mother. We'll get to that in a little oh bit. Oh my gosh. Okay. So um, that is advantage number one. Now, disadvantage number one, I think, is not knowing if there is one or multiple Heavenly Mothers makes this topic risky to discuss. Our theology, which is including plural marriage in the in the church, even in the present moment where uh, living plural marriage isn't allowed, uh, even though people can pass away and still be sealed to multiple people, um, a living spouse can be sealed to multiple deceased spouses. Uh, and after both parties are dead, people can be sealed to all of their spouses. But in spite of that, with uh, polygamy in our past, Mormon leaders have given a vote of approval that polygamy was part of the gospel. It was done for a short time in terms of living. And with that comes much of this connection to Heavenly Mother in our early theology being directly tied to polygamy. What do you think about the disadvantage that if we talk about it, people are going to want to make that connection and want to know whether we all share one Heavenly Mother or whether all of us maybe have different Heavenly Mothers. Maybe you and I share the same Heavenly Mother, but my wife and your best friend have a different Heavenly Mother. What do you think about that? Well, I think that that is certainly a can of worms. And I know that there are many people who speculate that this is one of the reasons that church leaders don't want to go there and start talking about Heavenly Mother, because how do you do that without immediately opening that door on multiple Heavenly Mothers, multiple wives of our Father in Heaven, uh, even as you know, Brigham Young taught about in General Conference and other locations where uh, Heavenly Father, God, brought one of his wives, Eve, into the garden, partook of the fruit, fell, developed the, the mortal bodies we have. And this is, of course, part and parcel of the Adam-God theory, which I'm sure you recognize, Bill. Yeah. And it's very interesting that the same idea that the entire exaltation and salvation in Mormonism, and I'm talking about, you know, celestial kingdom stuff, right? Is based on the heterosexual sex act. That's what everything in Mormonism rotates around because that's what's got to happen in order to become gods. 
And Joseph Smith, you know, was apparently teaching this in section 132, I think it's verses 19 and 20, talking about, you know, you got to be sealed together. Of course, there it's really talking about plural marriage, right? You got to be sealed together. And then in the eternities, then you have uh, the seed, right? And the offspring. And then shall they be gods because of this offspring that they will have in the future. So, yeah, I think it's a, it is definitely a difficult subject for them to broach. I think they could just say, look, we only know about one heavenly mother. There might be others. I don't know that that's really the main reason they don't want to talk about heavenly mother. I think it has more to do with the fact that the leadership of the church are all men. And I think that they sense there could be some oh, erosion of their power if heavenly mother starts getting too big for her britches. So if the Adam God teachings, somebody mentioned, and I think you just hinted at it too, the Adam God teachings indicate that Eve was one of Heavenly Father's plural wives. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so then Heavenly Father sends his son Michael down as Adam. Oh no, no, no. This is this is Adam. This oh, is our Adam. Adam God. Now also too we have Mary, right? Early LDS theology proposed that and Brigham Young taught this, that there was an actual sexual act in which um, Heavenly Father or Michael or Adam or whoever came down and had a physical sexual experience with the mother of Jesus Christ and impregnated her as the quotes indicate in the same way that a woman is impregnated in, in mortality by a mortal man, correct? Right. That's Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, pages 50 through 51, if anybody wants to look it up. Yeah, somebody should donate 10 bucks right now just for the fact that he memorized that if he's correct. That's really if I'm right. If I'm right. Right. So so we have Eve and we've got Mary and then maybe whoever Heavenly Mother is up there that maybe is different than one of those two. But at least there's LDS. There's evidence of in LDS theology of at least those two women being wives in some sense to Heavenly Father. Yeah, it gets confusing fast because uh, if Heavenly Father, who was Adam in Brigham Young's view. In yeah. Brigham Young's view, it was Adam who came in, um, had relations with Mary in order to produce the the child that would be Jesus. Yeah. Um, Who's on first and what's on second, right? I think this is a home run. <laughs> okay, so there's that. This is a home run, baby. This, this is a home run. There we go. Okay. Ad- advantage number two. Oh, and so I was just going to say, I'm sorry to clear that out, which is then, then you're left with this thing. Okay. So was heaven, was heavenly father. And this is, this is perpetuated in Mormonism beyond Adam. God, it starts with Adam, God and Brigham Young, but that's Adam with Mary. And now we get rid of the Adam God theory. So now it's Elohim and Mary. And this is considered to be one of the deeper doctrines in Mormonism, which is that, yeah, there were still the, the, the relations going on. So then the question is, well, was heavenly father married to Mary? He had to be married to her. Right. I mean, otherwise it's out of wedlock and that's sin. And the only time sins are allowed is when you're chopping off guys' heads to get brass plates. Yes, absolutely. It's it's cats and dogs living together if they're not married. So they've got to be married because Heavenly Father, I mean, he can't sin. It's got to be his wife. So uh, they were married. That's that's a given. Now, the question is, were they married for time only? (laughs) We don't know, do we? No, no. Or was it for eternity? So I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's a good example of how it is. Uh, Joseph Smith actually said once, he says, if you stay right, it's an easy matter to, if you start right, it's an easy matter to stay right. If you start wrong, it's a hard matter to get right again. 
<laughs> and if you start going off these things and then you start having to come up with other questions that you've got to answer with more and more speculation, it's a good indication that you're getting off the track. Right. Yep. I'm fully behind that. All right. So advantage number two, it would give Mormonism a positive and unique theological belief that likely would be significant, uh, a significant net positive in establishing a unique draw in missionary work. It would allow investigators to sense there is something additional in Mormonism uh, that Mormonism has to offer. And I think that most of the world when learning that would see that as a positive, that there's a heavenly mother there as well as a heavenly father, uh, your thoughts on how uh, productive that theology might be in helping investigators see that there's, there's revelation happening and, and that's, you know, something is cool and interesting that separates us from the rest of Christianity. Yes. And this gets back to the tension. Now we'll, we'll get back to the tension I talked about. Because we know that Mormons believe in heavenly mother, even though she rests on very slim evidence, if I can put it that way. In other words, it's not Doctrine and Covenant section 150. Yeah, we have a Heavenly Mother. Um, we have certainly adopted that as a belief. I think that's fair. And with the essay that came out about Heavenly Mother, I think it's beyond dispute that the LDS Church has officially recognized her existence. The problem is the tension comes from what do we do with her, yeah. right? Yeah. It's very. She's very much treated as if she's not really a person. Or a god. She's treated as if she's a chess piece. Yeah. And what we have to do is we have to have her exist, but in a way that is removed, inaccessible, and non-threatening. And this is the problem with the feminine deity, okay? The feminine deities are typically very dangerous. And I don't mean that in a horrible way. I mean, they're very nurturing as well, but there's this dangerous side to them. Um. This is what I like about Julie Andrews when she plays Mary Poppins, right? Uh, even watching it as an adult. The first time I saw it was as an adult, actually. And I watched this wonderful performance. And it's wonderful. And it's cherry. And she sings to the birds and whistles along with them, you know, and they go on all these adventures. But there's several points in the show where you catch a different glimpse of her. And you go, whoa, this lady is not just all nice and sunshine. There's this dangerous, edgy side to her. And so uh, I think that she's dangerous in a lot of ways, especially if you're a guy, right? She's like Diana of the hunt mm. where guys sometimes cross her and they don't wind up too well. Right. Uh, but that's one of the things that's wonderful about her. And even as a concept, okay, that's one of the things that's wonderful. about. That's one of the things that makes it threatening to men. And to the extent then, and you may be getting to this. I hope I'm not getting ahead of you, Bill. Well, to good. the extent then that we are taking this wonderful concept of Heavenly Mother and putting her definition into the hands of men, I think that what is not surprising is that she has ended up in the position that she is currently in. Yeah. Men have been in charge. Men have taken charge of writing scripture and they've told the story, right? They're the ones who tell the story. And how many women make their way into scripture in prominent roles? Very, very few because men are writing it. Men are uh, writing it for men to read it, uh, essentially. Um, did you say Journal of Discourses, volume one, verse 51? I said pages 50 and 51. It looks like Vega Dog has found one of the salient quotes. Look at that. Pay the man. Pay the man. Just, just do it. Let's go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you for looking that up, Vega Dog. 
Love it. Um, all right. So getting back to your point, it was Ben Franklin who said history is written by the winners as it, as an excuse for hanging the losers. Yeah. yeah. So whoever writes the history, they have control. If you have men who are leaders of the church, they have control over the doctrine. I think we understand that's one of their their areas where they will brook no no uh, nonsense from anyone else. I mean, just ask Fiona. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but they get to establish the doctrine. They get to establish the rules. And what they have done with Heavenly Mothers, they have not completely discounted her completely, but they have done everything that they can to do that while still acknowledging her existence. Yeah, absolutely. So disadvantage number two, there is a worry that making greater space for theology and utterance of Heavenly Mother Mother would lead to blasphemy of her name. Hoyt W. Brewster Jr. um, claimed the holy name of deity is blasphemed when used in concert with gutter language and misused in everyday expressions. Is it any wonder that our Father in Heaven has been so protective of the identity of our Mother in Heaven. Your thoughts on Heavenly Mo- Heavenly Father being upset if Heavenly Mother's name is used inappropriately? Yeah, all I can say about that is Jesus Christ. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> Isn't that dumb? No, I grew up hearing that all the time. And the way it's used, the reason it's used, primarily, is to explain why it is she's not talked about in the Scriptures. Why isn't she there? Well, it's because, you know, Heavenly Father, he's got her in this gilded cage, right? And he doesn't want anybody uh, saying bad things about mom. So instead of standing up for her or slapping kids around when they get sassy, he's going to stick her up in the attic so nobody can ever talk to her. He's completely hidden her away so as to protect her. So now she has no interaction with any of her children who she sent. What you know about earthly mothers how would an earthly mother feel sending their child across the universe and not being allowed to have any contact with them? Well, my mom sent me to Japan on my mission and she wasn't happy about that. No, no, no. I remember being at the airport shipping out after two months at the MTC and her talk, I called her and she talked to me on the phone, by the way, she's not a member and saying, well, you know, I think that maybe if you were just on your mission for six months and then came home, that would be enough. And I'm trying to go, mom, you don't get this. Right. No, no, six months isn't going to cut it. We got to be there for two years. Absolutely. How would I ever show my face in front of the boys in Troop 501 again? <laughs> Good old Troop 501. Um, so there's that. There's the idea that talking about her would cause blasphemy. And I just think that if there really is a God, there really is a, a heavenly father, I if he really gets worked up about stuff like that, uh, by you know when his children backtalk, then, then I don't know. I, I'm not sure I can trust my eternal salvation to that kind of ego. No, we end up having this incredibly dysfunctional family in heaven. And it's just like, I mean, some people are members of families that they'd rather not be a member of or have certain members. of. The, I have some of those. Um, and you, you, the old saying is you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Right. Uh, I don't want to choose that family because that's crazy stuff going on. Yeah. At, on the, on my mission. And I know you didn't serve a mission. I bring that up regularly just to shame you, Bill. But <laughs> you, you, not you, but me in the last two first presidencies, by the way, didn't serve a mission. Did you know that? The last President two. Austin, President uh, Elder Uchtdorf and uh, Elder Eyring. 
Well, Uchtdorf was busy fighting the Allies, I think. Yeah, and uh, Elder Oaks and um, President Nelson, I also believe, did not serve missions as well. I'm sorry, I just laughed at that because I thought I was so funny. I'm sorry, really? Yeah. yeah. You see, they're setting a bad example. People yeah. who have not served missions should not be called into positions of high leadership in the church. They set a bad example, but maybe they're running out of, of people who went on their missions. But I'm on my mission. When I'm on my mission, you can call home twice a year. One day is on Christmas, right? Yeah. And the other, I'll give you a hint, it's not Father's Day. No. It's Mother's Day. Mother's Day. You got it. So whoever's in charge of that or was in charge of that before all the missionaries got all soft on us and have to be able to calling calling home every week or something on Skype. But back when in when missionaries were missionaries, in my day, you got to call home twice. And once was on Mother's Day. Whoever was in charge of the leadership who made that rule gave more respect and honor to the mothers of missionaries than any church leader has given to heavenly mother. Yeah. Doesn't that seem odd? Like that seems strange that earthly mothers get more uh, respectful treatment than, than heavenly mother who's who heavenly father is worried about. She'll be talked about bad. It's like, it's like if a kindergartner kid comes home and, and he back talks to his mom. So dad's so concerned that dad just kicks mom out of the house and sends her somewhere else. Like, yes, offense. I know. And let me tell you something. Heavenly mother can take care of herself. Okay. Yeah. This is a badass chick. She yes. is a pistol she's packet. Divine. What? She is divine. According to the 11 revealed truths. I mean, she can handle her own. Yeah. She's a pistol packing mama. She's just as powerful. Yes. But maybe she has mental issues and that's why she has to be kept away from the kids. I have no idea what went on the pre-moral existence. There could have been all sorts of horrible abuse. CPS was called in, you know, had to get law enforcement involved. It was a bad scene. Yeah, so this idea that we can't talk about her, this brings us to this article again. And why don't you tell us maybe what happened with a certain known intellectual inside Mormonism, or maybe it didn't. Oh, Fiona. Fiona Givens, yeah. Something happened, and we don't know what it was. And maybe it was nothing. But it was reported on May 8th, which I think was, uh, what was that? That was um, 11 days ago. Mm -hmm. in the Salt Lake Tribune that she had been part of a presentation. She used to work for the Maxwell Institute. She had for two years. My understanding is from talking to different people as I've been trying to prepare for tonight's program and beating the bushes to find out what I could, is that she was very excited about working for the Maxwell Institute. She was very happy about it. It gave her access to all sorts of uh, information and books and stuff that she was using in her research, which she's very active in doing in her writing. And then she gives a, a presentation to a fireside that's sponsored, I believe, by the Maxwell Institute. She's invited to come in, be a presenter, and she talks about Heavenly Mother. And it's not talking about Heavenly Mother that is a potential problem. And there she is. There's Fiona, by the way, and there's her husband, Terrell. Have you ever seen a married couple that have actually grown to look more identical than these two? Yeah, and I'm curious where uh, Terrell got his like like British English accent. You know, I'm listening to Shakespeare and reading, reading. And so that accent, I'm curious where he got that because he's from Virginia, right? I'm not even sure which is which in this picture. <laughs> Can you help me? Does it, does it say which was what? Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bail out right here. <laughs> okay. Honestly, just put the, the, the pink jacket on Terrell, give him some bangs and boom, 
you know, it's twins. I don't know what how is- this Martin Luther King thing. That's weird. Oh, okay. Well, let me see here. Oh, yeah. So anyway, back to uh, Fiona. Uh, she's given this uh, presentation. By the way, it talks about it in here because somebody blabbed. Somebody was part of this presentation. It was, I think, Zoom. And so she blabs. Uh, her name's Plank, I think. And her name's mentioned in the article. And about how um, Fiona's talking about Heavenly Mother, which is not the end of the world. Everybody, ta- Anybody can talk about Heavenly Mother. Uh, but she starts talking about uh, Heavenly Mother being the pillar of light and identifying her with the pillar of light uh, that showed up before in, in the in the first vision account. So you got Heavenly Father, you got Jesus, you got the pillar of light. Of course, the pillar of light comes first. So Heavenly Mother gets there even before Heavenly Father and Jesus show up. I guess they're out in the parking lot parking the car before they, they come into the grove. But she gets there first. She was dropped off at the sidewalk. And that's one thing. And then in response to a question, she apparently speculates, and I think she puts it as speculation, that Heavenly Mother could be a member of the Godhead and that maybe she's the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Is, is she that right? Godhead? One assumes she is. Yeah. One assumes she is. Now that's 2013. So this article from this year which is 2021 for archaeologists in 100 years. This is a quote from this article going back to another article in the Tribune from 2013, which I also looked up. So they're quoting her from that point of view uh, or that point in time. That So is she the Holy Spirit? The, the scriptural record is silent on this and so much else that we fall into the sticky quagmire of speculation, right? That's what she says. So it's just speculation. But then in this recent um, fireside, Oh, what was it that she says? Do you have that there? The uh, Oh, it's Plant, not Plank is the name of the lady. Uh, all I'm seeing here is the more than 200 people signed on to Givens' Zoom presentation. According to Delaney Plant, who is among them, Givens shared her studies and research into Heavenly Mother, including multiple biblical accounts in which she believes a female deity is depicted as a pillar of light. Plant reports in an email. She then made the connection that during the first vision, by the way, there's no pillar of light in the 1832 account, correct? Um, I don't think so. Yeah. So you have the Lord present, no heavenly father, no uh, heavenly mother either. And it's not until later accounts when the pillar of light shows up, which Fiona suggests is heavenly mother. Um, she says, including multiple biblical accounts, which she believes the female deity is depicted as a pillar of light. She then made the connection that during the first vision, when Joseph Smith was visited by God, the father and Jesus Christ, he first mentioned seeing a pillar of light. Isn't it weird too, that heavenly father and the Lord Jesus get to show up in their full personage and heavenly mother is just this beam of sunshine that has no emotion, no anything, just, just a ray of light. Well, yes, that's why they call her Little Miss Sunshine in Heaven. (laughs) Also, she's—I mean—but this is very much like what this other this lady that I mentioned earlier. Their fears that they will become invisible when they're exalted, just like Heavenly Mother is. She's—if she's a ghost, I mean, it's—it's a step up from where she is now. If she's the Holy Ghost and the third member of the Godhead, but she's still sort of this invisible kind of thing. It's like um, uh, Dan Aykroyd says in Ghostbusters, "Sir, what you have." What you had there is what we refer to as a focused, non-terminal, repeating phantasm or a class five full roaming vapor, a real nasty one, too. So that's kind of what Heavenly Mother is, except for the nasty part. (laughs) 
I, and, and let's be honest, light is about as invisible as it gets, right? Like, like yeah. I'm, I'm in a room right now that has light in it and I get, I get the ray of sunlight, but I'm in a room full of light and I'm really not seeing anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But you see, you don't see the light, but the light is what you see everything else by. Ooh, look at that. Ooh. Fiona, you can use that if you're still writing. So anyway, getting back to Fiona. So apparently uh, there's like 200 people who are involved in this. It's a Zoom presentation. And this happens in March, by the way. And finally, this gal, uh, this lady, Delaney Plant, I think is her name. She's one of these people. And she sort of spills the beans, I think, a couple of months later to uh, the author of the article, Peggy Fletcher Stack. And now, two months later, we're getting this article in the Salt Lake Tribune about what happened two months before. And I think that, do you have it there? I think you have it outlined uh, about what happened. Is it this one? No, it's the one that you had right there. Oh, this thing, I've, yeah, I've got the, yep, I've got this highlighted. Yeah, and it's where it talks about how she, um, she responds to a question and says, I don't know, uh, She's speculating about Heavenly Mother being the third member in the Godhead, being the Holy Ghost. And apparently some people who were attending this Zoom um, lecture uh, didn't like what Fiona had to say, and they complained. And we don't know to whom they complained, though it may have been the bishop and the state president who were in charge of this. Um, but all of a sudden, all we know is that they complained and that all of a sudden, Fiona is not with the Maxwell Institute anymore, and she is not going to be doing any more speaking engagements. Yeah, it is. She is not there. <clears throat> it seems strangely awkward that she suddenly, at the very moment this is happening and complaints are coming in, stepping away, especially because I don't think she's been with them super long. I think Terrell's been a little longer, but yeah. Um, so it is interesting that that's that that happened. And then Fiona, of course, came out and said, no, I just want to focus on my writing. Um, and but she had to respond. And it felt like one of these needed, not accurate responses. But I, I don't want to judge it to be so mm -hmm. um, it sure feels like one of these PR moves to kind of smooth it over when that's not really what's going on. Well, right. And so do you have that up there on the screen from her Facebook page? Uh, no, I don't. I can probably get that for a moment if you want to line it out. I have it. Um, so this article comes out May 8th. The, and of course, it raised a bit of a stir because the implication was clear from the, the article. It didn't say that she was uh, not with the Maxwell Institute because of what happened, but it did say people complained over what she said, and then suddenly she's not with the Maxwell Institute. So Fiona Gibbons then on her Facebook page the following day on May 9th, the day after this article comes out, she publishes this, and here's what she says, and I'll quote it in its entirety. It's just a, um, a couple of paragraphs. As I have been asked for details surrounding recent events, I would like simply to share the following. I think that simply is an interesting word there. I would like simply to share the following. After almost two years of employment, there's the two years, I voluntarily made the decision to leave the Maxwell Institute to focus on my own study, writing, and other personal endeavors. I maintain the highest regard and warmest relations with the Maxwell Institute and its wonderful faculty. I applaud their work and support their continuing mission under the very capable leadership of Spencer Fluman. Yeah. 
Yep. And so it's very clear what she doesn't say in that. Yeah. And she seems not really want to address it head on. Right. Like, right. She's a smart lady. I mean, she's articulate and she can say what she wants to say. And she can also not say what she doesn't want to say. Yeah. All I'm saying is she says, I voluntarily made the decision. She doesn't say what precipitated her voluntary decision. Right. Nor does she talk about any of the criticism of that talk that she gave and to address kind of what those complaints were, whether that went anywhere, what, you know, what came of it. Yeah. So, she doesn't say there've been rumors about this talk didn't have anything to do with this talk. You know, all the things that you would expect if you want to put that to the side. So yeah. I think that what we have here is a situation where I don't know, people complain, people complain all the time. Believe it or not, they used to complain about me when I was the gospel doctor and teacher. Can you imagine? Yeah, Some people. Yeah. As I've said before, there was one particular sister in the ward who after every gospel doctrine class was over and the closing prayer was said, she would beat a path to the bishop's store to complain about me. It was so bad that there was actually a rut that was worn in the indoor outdoor carpeting from her place where she would sit in the chapel in class right up and out and directly to the bishop's door. Yeah. Yep. All so right. people, people complain and maybe this is what happened. Fiona Givens, she just decided maybe, maybe nothing happened. Maybe it's just a coincidence that at the same time this is happening, uh, that all of a sudden now she's not with the Maxwell Institute anymore. She's decided I voluntarily made the decision to leave the Maxwell Institute. She wants to focus on her own study writing and other personal endeavors which my understanding is we're actually facilitated by her uh, membership and employment with the Maxwell Institute. So I don't know how much sense that makes to me. I don't know everything about the situation. So I'm willing to take her at her word. And maybe it's a coincidence that Fiona Givens didn't bother um, mentioning this or posting this on her Facebook page last March when it happened. Mm -hmm. But waited two months until after this newspaper article was released. And then she wanted to put it out there so people would know. Yeah. Uh, David McKay suggests that the church had to restructure because tithing funds have been dropping. I also am aware that the church made a 900% profit on GameStop. If you were following any of that action uh, with the meme stock, the church bought shares last year and those shares rose 900% when they sold them. So I don't, I don't think the church is hurting for money. I think they have more billions today than they had a year ago. Um, there are several articles that point to that, by the way. But they are still such incredible skin flints. I will tell you, I got an email today because I'm still on the word email list, right? And I got an email uh, invitation from whoever it was. He's probably the Elder Scorn president. It didn't actually look at it that closely because what it said was they want, want to invite members to come back to church on next Saturday morning and stay for a number of hours to give it a really good deep cleaning mm. from stem to stern. Yeah, we we fired, let go of all of our paid uh, janitorial staff, and now it's the everyday members in a church that has more money than any other church on earth, with maybe the exception of Catholicism. They have more money than any other church on earth, and they got rid of their paid janitorial staff so that you and I, if we were still going, would be required to clean the building every so often. I know. Where do I sign up for that? <laughs> Sounds like a fun church to be part of, doesn't it? Oh my gosh. It's so, it's a much finer church not to be part of. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's finish up here. Disadvantage number three. I'm going to do these in opposite order this time. Okay. Disadvantage number three. Yeah. We have so little on the record that we would need new revelation, AKA we would need to make some things up so as to create additional theology. But since it's all made up anyway, what the hell is stopping us? Your thoughts on 
modern prophet seers and revelators just making more stuff up, which is what they've always done. It's all made up. Um, them making more up about Heavenly Mother. Your thoughts there? Well, they're sort of on the horns of a dilemma. If they make up more stuff to ennoble her, I mean, how do you demote her any more than she already is? You know, I'm not sure. Maybe she could be kicked out of the first presidency. Or maybe Heavenly Father could reorganize it and then demote her back to the Quorum of the Twelve, like, you know, Dieter, Uchtdorf. She could get fired from uh, being in the, the Godhead, which is the heavenly equivalent of the first presidency in the church. Yeah. She could be made an angel, maybe, is what it is. Yeah. Um, but they don't do that, and they're not going to talk much about her because, dang, I mean, what are you going to do with her? That's not going to be a problem for the male-dominated uh, leadership of the church where the priesthood is exclusively held by the men. And this is another real problem. I mean, does she have priesthood? Does she have power? Uh, I hope not. And certainly I, I'm speaking for them now. Uh, I sure hope not. And any power she has is directly related to her being married to Heavenly Father. So really, I think the the best thing that they think they can do is tacitly acknowledge her presence and then ignore her. Yeah. Yeah. And that's essentially the game plan they're doing. Now, I'll tell you my advantage, number three, and then I'll wrap up and you can share a few thoughts. Um, if LDS leaders had the balls to make up a few things about her, it would be a great chance for the members of the church to sense that LDS leaders are, in fact, prophetic revelators. It would get every believing member to feel an increase in faith, and it might even pull a few doubters back from the edge. Your thought, if the church came out, if President Nelson stood up and said, I was laying in my bed and I had one of those thoughts. My, the Lord woke me up out of my sleep. I had one of those thoughts. Kicked Wendy out of bed. I started writing notes in my little, my little, my little notebook in next to my bed. And Wendy helped me, helped me put my thoughts in order. She helped me organize them. She's kicked out of the room. Remember, <laughs> she's not there. And by she's the way, that your mother. <laughs> you go ahead and complete your thought because I think we just put our finger on the problem. <laughs> and so he comes forward and says, "I've got great revelations. Here it is. This is Heavenly Mother. Heavenly Father has revealed to me who Heavenly Mother is. Some real deep things about her." Wouldn't the membership of the church go, I told you, it's real, it's true. Here's revelation. Here's further light and knowledge. Thank goodness I kept doing this. Thank goodness I kept cleaning the building once a month and showing up every week for the two-hour block. Uh, yeah, I think that I hear what you're saying, but I think that unless it's real revelation, and if they're really just sort of making this up, then all they're going to be able to make up, the extent of their imagination, their revelatory imagination, hat tip to Terrell Gibbons, is going to be to cast Heavenly Mother as the exalted and fully realized version of the domesticated Mormon housewife mm -hmm. on earth. So yeah. she did everything she was supposed to do. She baked the pies. She um, uh, was a Relief Society president. Then she was a stake, you know, uh, on the prior earth. And now she's doing everything she's supposed to, which is just having children, just having children. And this is one of the uh, I was going to go off on something, but I'll leave it there for right now. <laughs> I see. Okay. I stopped myself. No, good, good. Um, all right. So those are my three advantages, my three disadvantages. I really see no real disadvantage to opening up some theology about her. I think, I think you're right. Like they have to make it up, but they've been making it up since 1820, essentially in 1830, at least. 
Um, so to make up a few more things, I think is not, not overly risky, especially when it's just kind of some soft theology about heavenly mother. And I think it would present a more positive image to investigators. And I think it would build a more positive faith in members. And so I think it's by far a win. Uh, the question is whether these guys suddenly in 2021 want to stop making things up. And I've watched the rest of Mormonism over the last 10 years, and I don't think so. Like I've seen other things be made up, such as changing scripture to not allow the high council or to make it not mandatory for the high council to be in a disciplinary court. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think these guys have a problem with changing the rules. Uh, I think you've done a few episodes on that. Right. You know, I'm doing this kind of off the cuff right now with this idea. So forgive me if I get something wrong, but I think that a lot of the changes that we've seen like that one tend to be changes that end up having the effect of consolidating power in fewer male priesthood holding leaders. Mm. I think that's that's what they tend to do. They consolidate power among men and they're not really about sharing power with women. No, they they don't mind if they're if they're pushed into it and pressured into it to give women some increased visibility, but you'll notice, and I would be willing to bet not for the next hundred years, for sure. There won't be any women in those top 15. No, they can't be. I'm sorry. They just can't be the way it is now because they don't hold the priesthood. And now they're starting to throw sops and little bits of pieces of bone and meat to women, which they hope will satisfy them saying, well, you have priesthood power. Whenever you do anything, it's by the power of the priesthood. So they'll use the words and, but not give the office, but not really give the power or the authority, the authority to preside in the church through the priesthood. Now it's a, it's a risky game they play in doing this because I see it as a sop and hopefully they'll be satisfied with that. And we'll say some nice words and everybody will be happy and go home and be content and get in the kitchen and cook dinner, damn it. But I think it's a dangerous game because the closer and closer they get their language like this to the priesthood as they understand it, uh, which is being able to perform the ordinances and lead in the church and preside in the church. That's what the priesthood allows them to do that women can't do. But the closer and closer they use this language to get it to that point, then, well, uh, I feel like I'm Elder Holland from last week. You know, you end up getting so close that eventually people are going... (laughs) And nobody's going to be able to see that in the audio version. So I hope people watch that. But yeah, eventually they're going to be the same. And people are going to say, well, if you're this close, I mean, if women, uh, if everything they do is by priesthood power, then what's the problem with uh, them having the priesthood? It seems like a logical question. Right. Especially since Elder Oaks has already kind of said they have priesthood. Like, yes, both sides of our mouth all the time. Yeah. And so, so there's that. But by the way, when I was reading the article from 2013, the Tribune, I found out that one of the things that was potentially problematic about what Fiona Givens said about implying that heavenly mothers in the Godhead is something that had been done before by Janice Allred. And Janice Allred had taught that as well. And that's actually the reason that Janice Allred got excommunicated in 1995. So there is a track record of people talking about this kind of thing, Heavenly Mother and the Godhead, and getting excommunicated. And even though that's 25, 26 years ago now, you know, some things change, some things don't, and some things get even worse in a situation that we're seeing now, which seems to have a lot of retrenchment going on. And uh, 
well, like uh, I think it was John DeLynn mentioned, he's seeing a Mormon spring going on where lots and lots and lots of people are suddenly getting the axe as far as excommunication goes. So they, that's sort of a sign of retrenchment. We're going to retrench. We're not going to brook any opposition, any, any kind of questioning, any kind of criticism, regardless of how marginal it might be. Everybody's going to be in this church is going to be in lockstep with the leadership. Otherwise, you're gone. Yeah, and I can tell you how that's going to go, but uh, I don't think they're going to listen to me. Randy Brown says, well, they are as transparent as they know how to be. Uh, Maxwell, and I think they made Heavenly Mother as transparent as <laughs> they know how to make her. They knew how to do, right? Yeah. Uh, There's transparency in the Mormon church. It just yeah, involves Heavenly Mother. Disappear. They couldn't make her completely vanish. They had to have 11 nothings about her that we now know, which is nothing, as Elder Hinckley has acknowledged. Yes. Yes. So there's a wonderful thing. And I know we're almost done here. There's so much to talk about. Uh, Believe it or not, when you don't restrict yourself to to the Orthodox Mormon script of 11 things to say about Heavenly Mother, where actually 10 of them don't count and only one does that we don't know anything about her. We know a few things. The first thing we know is we sure don't pray to her. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, Gordon B. Hinckley gives this talk. I think he was... um, Oh, at the time in 1991, uh, he is not the president of the church. He's like the acting president. He's one of the counselors. I think that Ezra Taft Benson was on his last legs and he wasn't even attending conference at this point. I think he'll become president, Gordon B. Hinckley, four years from this point. Anyway, regardless of that, there have been people such as Janice Allred, such as Margaret Toscano, such as others who have been promoting the idea that we should pray to Heavenly Mother and that that's okay. And it's hard to see anything that's really, if she's a real person, my gosh, why wouldn't you? And why wouldn't women feel more of a a connection to Heavenly Mother than they might to Heavenly Father? A lot of guys would feel more of a connection to Heavenly Mother than they might to Heavenly Father. It all depends a lot on how you grow up, you know, what gender you are, but also how you grow up and how your respective parents maybe have acted. And uh, but they have talked about praying to Heavenly Mother. And so this ends up leading President Hinckley to give a talk in which he says, don't pray to Heavenly Mother. And we don't know anything about her. but don't pray to Heavenly Mother. By the way, if you go back and listen to this talk, it's really interesting, the context of the talk, because he had been giving these comments in a solemn assembly. And. I can't remember where the solemn assembly was. I don't know if he mentions it, but he does talk about this. And a copy of his talk that he gave at this solemn assembly somehow got leaked to the public. And it has these comments in it about Heavenly Mother. And so when he's introducing this part, he's talking about he gave this talk and it got leaked and uh, as if that's some great deal. And he says, you know, I don't say anything in secret that I don't say in public. Yeah, right. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But he's going to go back and he's going to read the comments, some of the comments from the talk that he gave in the solemn assembly that got leaked in general conference now in 1991. So you're probably ready to hear what he has to say. Here it is. Okay. I am therefore on this occasion going to take the liberty of rereading that portion of the talk, which pertains pertains to a matter over which some few members of the church appear to be greatly exercised. I give it to all in this forum because of the activities of a few who evidently are seeking to lead others in the paths which they are following. 
I speak of those who advocate the offering of prayers to our Mother in Heaven. I quote from that earlier address. This practice started in private prayer and is beginning to spread to prayers offered in some of our meetings. It was Eliza R. Snow who wrote the words, Truth is reason, truth eternal, tells me I have a mother there. It has been said that the Prophet Joseph Smith made no correction to what Sister Snow had written. He'd been dead for a year. Therefore, we have a mother in heaven. <laughs> I assume that we may appropriately pray to her. Logic and reason would certainly suggest that we, if we have a father in heaven, we have a mother in heaven. That doctrine rests well with me. However, in light of the instruction we have received from the Lord himself, I consider it inappropriate for anyone in the Church to pray to our Mother in Heaven. Okay, now he's going to go, and I don't want to uh, subject everybody to this entire part of his address. Certainly go back and read it if you want or listen to it. Uh, but now he goes and he quotes from all these passages from the scriptures talking about Jesus praying to our Father, his Father and our Father art in heaven. And that gets a bit, um, I think, tedious. Uh, I think everybody knows what he's quoting. And then he gets to timestamp 1850 after reading all those different verses. And he concludes as follows. And so, my sisters, I might continue with other specific instances from the scripture. But search as I have, I find nowhere in the standard works and account where Jesus prayed other than to his Father in heaven or where he instructed the people to pray other than to his Father in heaven. I have looked in vain for any instance where any president of the Church, from Joseph Smith to Ezra Taft Benson, has offered a prayer to our Mother in heaven. I suppose those who use this expression and who try to further its use are well-meaning, but they are misguided. The fact that we do not pray to our Mother in heaven in no way belittles or denigrates her. Mm, reasonable minds could differ. End of the quotation of the talk I gave earlier, to which I may add that none of us can add to or diminish the glory of her of whom we have no revealed knowledge. Now there you go. <laughs> we can't diminish the glory of a person that we don't know anything about. We don't know a damn thing about her, so why do we say anything? Except apparently she's glorious. Yeah, she's divine. She helped Heavenly Fathers in some ways that we don't know. And she was sad maybe to see her kids go or happy to see her kids go and enjoy the plan of salvation. And we are just kind of guessing at it. Yeah, and he says the fact that we do not pray to our mother in heaven in no way belittles or denigrates her. I, I could see that a different way because I think that it actually does. I right. mean, you've got Heavenly Father. He's got everybody and their dog praying to him all the time. He's consistently getting all these messages, and he's dropping the ball all over the place. He's got all these prayers over here. Well, he's not able to answer those because he's helping somebody find their car keys, right? So he's got more than he knows what to do with. Heavenly Mother's got nothing going on as far as any communication from her children. One would assume she could help and probably be at least as helpful, if not more so than Heavenly Father in responding to prayers. But no, she is incommunicado. And I think that does belittle her. If there is no way to diminish her, then what is the negativity in speaking openly about her 
and even praying to her. If you can't denigrate her in any way, you can't you can't hurt her, you can't diminish her. You, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Especially since Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. So who are you actually praying to? Like it all gets confusing anyway. It is very confusing, but we we have these boundaries, and the leadership wants to make sure that they are not transgressed. Yeah. And so people who um, pray to Heavenly Mother end up getting disciplined by the church. Um, so I think that, oh, and here's the funny thing. The really funny thing is that uh, how many of you out there, how many Mormons have ever sung the hymn, Oh, My Father? Oh, my father. Yeah. Thou that dwellest. Yeah. Come on. You know this. It starts to go after a while. Well, we all know it because she is the one who wrote this uh, poem, right? They got put to words. And she wrote it in 1845 after the death of Joseph Smith. I knew that from my research, and it was just while he was talking, while Gordon B. Hinckley was talking, and he said, uh, let's see, what did he say? Because uh, I sort of interrupted him there. When he says, uh, it was Eliza R. Snow who wrote the words, truth is reason, truth eternal, tells me I have a mother there. That's what Gordon B. Hinckley quotes. And then he says right after it, it has been said that the prophet Joseph Smith made no correction to what Sister Snow had written. Because right. he'd been dead for a year. Right. She gone. wrote it the year after. Right. Unless he's talking about making a correction by a Ouija board or something like that, I don't know how Joseph Smith would be able to make any correction, even if he thought one were necessary. Right. But getting back to the lyrics, everybody in the Mormon church has sung that hymn at least once. And the hysterical thing about it to me was when I finally came to realize a number of years back that not only does this hymn talk about the existence of Heavenly Mother, it actually contains a prayer to her. So anytime anybody has ever sung this hymn, they have been praying to Heavenly Mother. It's the last verse. I think it's the last verse, but uh, you'll recognize it. When I leave this frail existence, when I lay this mortal by, Father, Mother, may I meet you in your royal courts on high. That is a prayer, not just to the Father, but to the Mother. May I meet you in your royal courts on high. Anybody who sings that is engaged in a group prayer, not just to Heavenly Father, but also to Heavenly Mother. You're making both a request. You're making a supposition. Yeah. Or supplication. Supplication. You're asking for something, and you're asking your heavenly parents for something to be given to you. I don't know any other better definition of a prayer than that. Yeah. So that's one of the big secrets that uh, at least was kept from me for a long time until I think somebody smarter than I did, smarter than I was, pointed it out to me. And all of a sudden went, oh, my gosh, you're kidding. You're right. OK. Hey, can I read this thing about uh, a prayer I gave in church? Please. And while you're telling that story, I will mute myself and uh, take a phone call. Um, folks, it is 435-200-FIST. Look at that, 200 fist or 200-3478, 435-200-3478. And uh, RFM, please finish us off with a story. We'll take a couple phone calls and then we'll call it a night. This is about a page long. I apologize. I do want to read it. Uh, I, went, I hadn't read this in years and I went back and I read it. I thought, hey, that's pretty good. So here it is, okay? Uh, it is Sunday, March 17th, 2013. I have just arrived at church. Sacrament meeting is about to start. I settle into my family's customary pew with my 16-year-old daughter. The bishop comes over. He asks me to give the closing prayer. I agree automatically. No big deal. It's not like I haven't done this a million times before. 
The meeting begins. I start ruminating on how this day would have been my parents' 72nd wedding anniversary. I miss my dad. He died March 9th, 2011. I miss my mom. She died October 10th, 2000. I don't miss one more than the other. I miss them both. The sacrament is being passed. I feel a distinct impression to mention Heavenly Mother in my closing prayer. I try to shake the feeling. I can't. This is something I am supposed to do. Our high councilman is speaking now. I continue to wrestle inwardly. I think how easy it would be for me to ignore the impression to just give an orthodox closing prayer. I think how nobody would be the wiser, except me. I would know. I realize giving a customary prayer is not an option. My daughter looks over at me. She sees I'm troubled. She asks what is wrong. I say, I hate it when God asks me to do hard things. She asks me what it's about. I say it has to do with my closing prayer. She looks alarmed. She asks me, she asks me what I am thinking of saying. I say, God has bidden me not to tell you. I am kidding, but I don't want to get into a conversation with her about it in the middle of sacrament meeting. Even though we are whispering, there are people all around, before and behind. She tells me, I don't know this is from God. I tell her that actually I do. She says, it could be just something I want to do. I tell her, there's no way I want to do this. <laughs> she says, I need to consider my audience. I tell her, I figure God has already considered that. The end of sacrament meeting approaches like the footsteps of doom. On the bright side, no sacrament meeting has gone by faster, especially with the high councilman speaking. The congregation sings the closing hymn. We are at the last verse. I walk up to the stand. My knees are like water. I think they might buckle. I have settled on what I will say. I know I just have to get the words out of my mouth. The hymn ends. I step to the microphone. I look out over the congregation. Every head goes down. My heart hammers in my ears. I plant my feet shoulder width to steady myself. I grab the lectern with both hands. I take a deep breath. I begin. Dear Father and Mother God. Mm. And that's the end of that piece. Yeah. True story. Yeah. So there you are saying, uh, saying a prayer, right? Yeah. And believe it or not, the earth didn't shake. The roof didn't cave in. And you still have your church membership. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well kept secret. And the more you talk about it, the less likely it's to remain that way. Knocking on wood. There you go. Either that um, or that's somebody at the door, two guys in dark suits with a piece of paper. They've got an envelope and there's a paper in it and you've been summoned. Yeah, say hello to my little friend. And you won't get 12 men in the room. You'll just get three. Oh, I'll demand all 12. <laughs> all right. So we've got our first caller. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, so Rick, Rick, you are on the, the line with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real. What's on your mind tonight, my friend? Okay, so it seems like your show is the only way that one can actually communicate with the leadership of the church. So <clears throat> this is my message. I mean, the the teaching of the Heavenly Mother is not sustainable because 
whoever you want to credit that to didn't understand that they were under the impression of the fixity of species. They didn't understand that we all have an animal origin. So I'm not sure, you know, is heavenly mother, the mother of the Neanderthals? Is she the mother of the Denisovians? Is she the mother of the Homo erectus? Did, the pre-Adamites. Did God have a bunch of different animal kind of like women that he like had sex with to create those spirits. I mean, it all gets very messy. That it does. That it does. Uh, the pre-Adamites, though, I don't think can claim Heavenly Mother. They're, they're a whole other thing. They came from other worlds that have been reorganized into this one. Yeah. Yeah. But we all know that that's not the case. <laughs> we all have an animal origin. Yeah. Evolution is a fact. You can't, you can't get around that. That's why they avoid talking about it. <laughs> anyway, you guys have a great show, man. Thank you. Have a great night, my friend. That was a great comment from Rick. You know, actually, my ancestors came down from the trees not so very long ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. I still have prehensile toes. Do you really? I don't oh, know yeah. what that means. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. Uh, monkeys uh, have prehensile toes and a prehensile tail, which means that they can use them to grasp things. Mm, gotcha. So I still have prehensile toes. You pick up things with you pick up the newspaper out in out in your driveway with your feet. Yes, absolutely, I do. Amen. Me and too. Other wonderful tricks. Okay, another caller. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll get one here shortly. Um, oh, I we don't even have. I thought they'd be lining up. Yeah, I'm actually hoping Heavenly Mother calls in. I will say though that while we're waiting for a call to come in, um, folks, if you're again, I'll just we're going to continue to do this. If you're enjoying the show, uh, we really do need funds to make it sustainable. If you can go to mormonismlive.org, click the donate button. It's a, a program called DonorBox. You can do it through Stripe. You can do it through PayPal. You can do it um, through your bank, I think. You can just pay with a debit card or Visa card. And essentially, you can line up a recurring uh, five, you know, $5 donation a month. From. Um, you can do 10 bucks If you've got the money, do 50 or or 100 But we would love if uh, if you contributed something so that we can do this for years to come and we're having a lot of fun with it. And I don't think we're going to run out of topics because Mormonism just keeps doing stuff. So um, donate today and help keep Mormonism live, uh, Mormonism live going. Mormonism is the gift that keeps on giving. Won't you, uh, won't you do that too? That was terrible. All right. So we have a caller. Caller is Travis. Travis, you're on the air Mormonism live with Bill real and radio free Mormon. What are your thoughts tonight? Yeah, I was just going uh, to point out something that, I don't know, maybe too too many people aren't interested in, but um, actually, if you're paying attention to the scriptures that the church is claiming to be found upon, uh, and the only time that a heavenly mother is ever mentioned in Jeremiah, where it's talking about uh, the queen of heaven. Queen of heaven. And when you realize what's taking place there, Jeremiah is going into the Jews that are living there at that time in Egypt and going in there to condemn them, God sending him there, because they're worshiping a heavenly mother, burning incense, praying to her, and doing these things. So I just wanted to point out that the church can't even stand upon their own scriptures when it comes to a heavenly mother, it actually speaks against that. 
Appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate that. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, there's been a love-hate relationship with Heavenly Mother uh, throughout the, the scriptures, throughout Judaism. Uh, there have been times where she's been loved, adored, embraced, and worshipped. And then other times when other people come along and say, no, we don't want this. Get her out of here. Uh, there have been earlier versions. There have been consolidations of versions. Um, and by the way, I want to hear the, the next call. But I will say that a few years ago, I gave a, it was probably a two-hour presentation about the divine feminine in the Old Testament and the New Testament and its development in Mormonism. Um, and I'd be happy to do that or talk about that next week if there's any interest. If you feel like we've uh, beat the subject to death tonight, we'll go on to something else. But let us know in the comments if you would be interested in that. And I'll be happy to blow the dust off those old notes and bring them out again. All right. So, hey, just by the way, somebody asked where you can see Mormon Discussions uh, financial records. If you go to mormondiscussions.org, I actually think we have a tab in our header that allows you to go into 2019's tax filing. We have not filed 2020 yet. The accountant has done an extension, and so we're just kind of waiting for that to happen. Once that's official, we'll put that one up there as well. And then I know we've got some of our older records up there, too. Um, there's a link that you can click and see some of those. So anyway, just wanted to make mention that we're not we're not hiding anything. We've always valued being transparent. And so we do that. Um, caller, let me see if I get this right. This caller is claiming she's a goddess. And it sounded like it. I felt I felt a ray of sunshine as she was speaking. And uh, her name is Laren Terry. Laren Terry, you are on Mormon uh, Mormonism Live with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real. Um, I've already got a hair standing up on my neck, feeling a little tingling sensation. <laughs> I'm feeling elevation emotion as uh, Jonathan Haidt would, would talk about. Um, close us down. This will be the last uh, call for the night, and we'll, uh, we'll sign off after that. Laren Terry, you are on the air. Wow, so much pressure, but thank you. I, I embrace my goddesshood. <laughs> um, so just a few ideas. I'm actually uh, a heavenly mother at this moment. I'm hiding in my minivan from my kids so I can call in. Um, but here's my thoughts. Um, in the Catholic Church, it, it for a long time, women have been able to pray to female saints and to the Mother Mary um, especially they they um, would use their prayers during childbirth to the Virgin Mary. Um, and it's just really sad that as female LDS members, I mean, I don't really call myself one anymore, but, you know, in moments of desperation or, or whatever, we don't have a female deity to to pray to, to like lean on in times of of trauma throughout our lives. And I mean, bravo to the Catholic church for giving that to their, to their congregants. Um, also just, um, having, you know, a female representation in any form of the church. I mean, we don't, we don't hear from our female leadership. I mean, very rarely in general conference and, even when we do, it's in special sessions, um, and it's just a really a sad thing for me. Um, so that was my first thought. Um, and then I'm totally blanking because I'm getting kids ready for bed. <laughs> um, 
But if you just want to cover that one, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I will hang up with you um, and we'll close it out. Thank you, my friend. So uh, what do you think there on that comment, my friend? What do you think, well, That is a, a really good question. Um, uh, I mean, who can argue with this? Here's, here's a, a woman who's apparently a member of the church who would really, really benefit and like to see some female representation, more female representation in the leadership of the church, and maybe some female representation in the Godhead or somebody way up there that she can at least communicate with and pray to yeah. and identify with. And I do not think that she is alone in that. I think there are many, many people, uh, both women and men in the church, probably more women, I'm just guessing, who would like to have that opportunity and feel that connection. And yeah, the Catholic church um, does offer that to its members. And I was thinking, of course, of you know uh, Mother Mary, uh, but there are female saints as well. And I hadn't thought of that but yeah tons of female saints that they can pray to as well yeah so you can see that women in the church there is a segment of women who want more uh of heavenly mother in that role model you can see that there are some sisters who feel it kind of their responsibility to help the brethren police that um for instance the people who complained when fiona was sharing some of her thoughts instead of just accepting them as fiona's own opinions we we go and have to kind of narc her out and, and tattletale on her, right? Yeah, the orthodoxy police are on patrol. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, Elder Packer always talked about the watchmen on the tower, and and I think some of that is deeply unhealthy when everybody's just pretending to signal, I shouldn't say pretending, but signaling to each other that they're going to police the boundaries. Yeah, too often the watchmen on the tower become the snitches on the street corner. And you know snitches get stitches, right? <laughs> I guess I had heard that. <laughs> so that's that and uh, any other thoughts here so we've covered i think the pros and cons of heavenly mother we've talked about the recent article uh you shared your story about praying yourself you talked about eliza r snow wrote in a sort of prayer into the li the lyrics of the hymn and i think with all of that not that we've done heavenly mother justice but we sure as hell talked about her a lot more than mormonism did in the last 200 years yeah we have i think we should be proud of ourselves for at least that much and i'm glad that everybody who's joined us has joined us. I've had a great time tonight and I hope you have too. I have had an absolute blast. I was just looking for a certain soundbite. Mormonism live. Better than touching your own little factory. Yeah.